This is Ozarks at Large. If you ask an Arkansas Razorback football fan what the most momentous football weekend on the University of Arkansas campus in history was, the likely answer is a late 1969 weekend when Texas came to town for a matchup between the top two ranked teams, a game that was broadcast on national television when such broadcasts were limited to just one or two per weekend. And it was a big weekend for football indeed, but much bigger matters were unfolding as Charlie Allison, the executive editor with University Relations at the University of Arkansas, points out in his latest dispatch about the first 150 years of the University of Arkansas. In the summer of 1971, Gene McKissick told his mother that he was going to run for president of the university's associated student government during the next school year. His parents were apprehensive about the idea. Gene McKissick would be the first black student to run for the office, and he knew as well as anyone that racial advocacy on campus during his freshman and sophomore years had often led to heated disputes and tense confrontations. In recalling those years, he told my colleague, Delaney Bartlett, about the disparities in how black students were treated by administrators and by fellow white students, saying, quote, We were not perceived or accepted as full-fledged students on the same basis as white students. When attending Razorback games, he told Bartlett, white students would yell at black students and throw things like paper cups and beer cans at them. He said that girls would bring umbrellas to the games because white students were throwing gum into the girls' hair. So McKissick had reason to be apprehensive about running for office. And yet he saw hope, too. The slow march toward equality on campus during the 1960s had shown black students that persistence on their part could slowly change the policies and procedures of the university. In December 1962, a group of students calling themselves Students for Freedom demonstrated against discrimination in university housing. At the time, the university wouldn't allow black students to live in the campus residence halls, but instead assigned black women to a separate frame residential house and required black men to live off campus. Similar challenges were made in 1963 to the university's refusal to integrate its athletic teams. The University of Arkansas's position was not helped when its arch rifle, the University of Texas, integrated its teams that year. The next year, though, saw several pushes forward. Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. A University of Arkansas student named Raymond Carter filed a complaint with the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. And a group of white students, including future legal and political luminaries such as Morris Arnold, Sandy McMath, and David Malone, also called on the administration to integrate the residence halls and the athletic teams. Before classes started in the fall, Joanna P. Edwards and Robert Whitfield filed a lawsuit seeking those remedies. Both of them had applied for on-campus housing, but had been denied. Their lawsuit wanted integration of the residence halls and athletics, but they also made a case for the hiring of black faculty, the integration of campus social activities, and recruitment at predominantly black high schools in Arkansas. Attorneys for Edwards and Whitfield included U of A alumni George Howard and Wiley Branton. The judge in the case ruled quickly that the university must integrate the residence halls because the fall semester was about to start, but he allowed more arguments on the other elements. By the spring, though, he declared that the university could not discriminate at any of its policies, including the awarding of scholarships, the recruitment of athletes or other students, and assignment of campus housing. The university could not make distinctions of operation based on race, period. By 1968, though, many of those distinctions were still at play. Black students on campus formed a new student organization that year called Black Americans for Democracy, or BAD for short. Their first action came against the student newspaper, the Arkansas Traveler. The paper had published a letter to the editor by a white student who wondered why the newspaper had devoted so much space to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. that year. 
Incensed, John Rowe, a black student from El Dorado, wrote a letter to rebut the earlier letter to the editor and took it to the traveler office. But his letter wasn't printed. Rowe sought several more times to have the letter printed. When it wasn't, the Black Americans for Democracy and the Southern Student Organizing Committee blocked the entrance to Hill Hall, the building which housed the student newspaper offices. They called on the student newspaper to represent the whole student body in its coverage. The success of the Traveler blockade led the Black Americans for Democracy to pursue larger goals in 1969, a year when the first black faculty members to pursue tenure, Gordon Morgan and Margaret Clark, were hired and the first African-American scholarship athletes, Almer Lee and John Richardson, were finally named. The members of BAD took on their next challenge, a change less about policy and more about culture. They called for the Razorback Band to quit playing the song Dixie, a southern anthem of nostalgia for a day when cotton plantations were operated by white masters and worked by enslaved black people. The lyrics were offensive to anyone who thought about the song for half a second. As McKissick later put it, the feeling of black students at the time was, quote, we will not stay on this campus and be insulted like that. Five days before the big game of the season, the Arkansas-Texas game, expected to be attended by the President of the United States, Richard Nixon, the Black Americans for Democracy conducted their biggest demonstration to date. They prevented the Razorback Band from entering the stage of the Chi Omega Greek Theater for the traditional pep rally. When the demonstrators faced the audience and told them there wouldn't be a pep rally, the white crowd threw rocks, cans, and beer bottles at the stage. After the pep rally, a black student, Daryl Brown, was shot in the leg by a pellet gun, apparently by someone in a passing vehicle. While the protest caused the band to refrain from playing Dixie at the nationally broadcast football game against Texas, the band continued to play it at other events. The following spring, about 70 members of BAD staged a sit-down in the offices of University President David Mullins and Vice President of Student Affairs Bill Denman. The students came away feeling as though the administration was beginning to listen. They also met with the student senate and explained their opposition to the playing of Dixie. The senators were swayed by those arguments and voted 28 to 6 to discontinue the song. Unbeknownst to them, the new band director, Eldon Jansen, had talked with band members and had also made a decision that Dixie would no longer be played. Those decisions meant that the Black Americans for Democracy had achieved not just a policy change, but a cultural change in the university. During this time period, members also created a parallel set of organizations to the majority white institutions. They started a student newspaper for black students called Bad Times. They created a beauty pageant known as Miss Ebony. They founded Greek fraternities and sororities within the traditional black Panhellenic system. It's little wonder that by 1972, the members of Bad were also thinking that a black student should run for student body president. Despite the apprehension of Jean McKissick's parents, the campaign went well. No protests, no violence. The other student competing for the presidency, a political science major named William Buffalo, or Bill Buffalo as everyone knew him, ran a clean, positive race. On election day, four voting centers were available across campus. Gene McKissick swept all four and garnered 59% of the student vote. A huge banner across the top of the Arkansas Traveler said it simply, McKissick wins. Charlie Allison is the executive editor at University Relations with the University of Arkansas. And most Wednesdays, he delivers accounts of the people, traditions, events, and places connected with the first 150 years of the U of A. More about the school's sesquicentennial can be found at 150.uark.edu.